Welcome to another episode of Adoption, The Making of Me. I'm Louise Brown. And I'm Sarah Reinhart. Make sure to find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook as Adoption, The Making of Me podcast. You can also find us at our website, adoptionthemakingofme.com. And please remember to subscribe, share, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you. On today's episode, we will be discussing I Would Meet You Anywhere by Susan Kioito, and then we will be speaking with Adoptee Pan. Stay tuned. Again, we want to give a shout out to our sponsor, S12F, fellow adoptee, friend, someone who will be in New York. So thank you very much for your support. We appreciate you. I'm excited about our Patreons. Yes, let's announce the date again, February 17th at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. If yep. you're a Patreon at the $10 level, you get to join us once a month just to kind of hang out. Zoom coffee, we're calling it, sort of. It's been awesome. It's, it's really a great really group. been great. Yeah. And we keep getting new people. We'd love to meet new people. So if you want to join Patreon at the $10 level and meet us once a month for a coffee Zoom, mm-hmm. go to patreon.com, searching Adoption the Making of Me, and join. And you can meet other adoptees too and have your own group. It's kind of neat. That's how yeah. I feel. Like we exactly. have a group that's different now. So see you there. See you there. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Louise. Well, we're reading Susan Keo Ito's book, I Would Meet You Anywhere. Today, we're reading What Do You Need? Mm-hmm. A Small Crime and What... I'm so sorry. What, what I, I did over, over spring. spring break. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which isn't but, the fun, you think? Yeah. No, it's so good. And Oh, my God. Her writing is so rich. Thank you, Susan. This is a pleasure. Very much a pleasure. What did you start with in this? There was something well, I started with, but tell me what you started with. I bet it's Well, you know, what do you need is about talking to her parents about finding her biological mother. And the title of the book is because her father has this habit of like, what do you need? And and so she's so nervous about telling them about her search. But yeah, they finally are like, yeah, what do you need? You know? They're such troopers. I really like her parents. I do too. I highlighted, you know, how could I explain my searching to them? There was only one answer because I needed to know. I needed to mm-hmm. know the answer to the question people constantly ask me, what are you? Where are you from? Mm-hmm. That's exactly it. And there was one line before that. I'm sure this has happened to you too. She's looking at the pictures of her happy family from like her childhood and her mom's in a swimming cap and a little outfit and they're both tan, her parents. It says they were smiling for me and in their smiles, I could see that everything was right in their world. Yes, in their world. Yeah, I like that. I wonder because if that was an intentional. I, mean, I know, I wondered too. I wonder. We ask can ask her. her. We know Susan. We can <laughs> ask her. Susan, let us know, please, when you hear this review. On the next page, this was just a funny thing of the era that I mm-hmm. noted was, you know, and she's going through, she found the file about, you know, the Susan's papers. And yeah. And the thing about the foster mother going through the routine. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, on the back, my mother's careful handwriting, a recipe for formula, evaporated milk, water, and sugar. Like, <laughs> that would not fly. No. I wonder we have a whole generation. No wonder I have such a big time 
sweet tooth and have I mean, struggle and with it. <laughs> yeah. And the formula I was on, I read years later, they recalled it because it was so much sugar. It was like loud with sugar. <laughs> I forget the name. It wasn't Similac, but it was like pre-Similac. Like, Thank I don't know. you, Era, that wasn't aware of nutrition. <laughs> just basically, oh. it was just to fatten up the babies quickly, yeah. probably. I have another question for Susan in this. What do you need? She found another picture of another little Japanese boy in the files that she was like, she went, her parents would have given her these files, but she didn't know that. So she went and snuck, right? Snuck looking. But he had a birthday a year before his and it was a little boy and she didn't know if they passed on him or what was the story with that picture. And yeah, because she, she knew they uh, wanted a girl. Yeah. But so I'm I'm sure she'll reveal that later. Yeah. Was my guess because it de- I definitely noted that too. I hope so. I wonder if later mm-hmm. she'll find out. Then we jump to a small crime and love this part. At the very end of the chapter, I wrote the lengths adoptees have to go to <laughs> or did have to go to anyway. And this is because loved it. Yes. Yes. We have two people who have committed small crimes that I love so far. We have Emma Stevens. Yes. <laughs> who broke in and stole her Linda Pivak, yeah. Linda Pivak and stole other people's adoptive files and brought them back. And they were just in boxes. And now we have Susan who pretends to be pregnant. So tell us, I love But also her part. mother. Yes. Her mother lied Yeah, to, I love her mom. Her parents were so open to helping. Oh, we wanted to know. We what took you, you so long? Yeah, what took you so long? <laughs> and so her mother had to call the hospital, was it the hospital, and pretend... Yes that she had lost the papers and, and she totally went along with it and did it. So they got her birth name. And also was that where she got her birth mother's name? Oh, she got her birth mother's name in the next escapade, but her name was Miko. Very pretty. Yeah, Mika or Miko? Mika. 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 And very pretty. And she had a little helper too, by the way, she worked at a deli and a guy named Henry who would come in was like a UFO investigator on the side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a grad student who he was, was obsessed. And he's like, hey, what's your obsession? And she just blurted out with him yeah. to him. And she had a boyfriend at the time who her search like was that. making him uncomfortable. Like, I thought she, that was interesting because I've had that with people that I'm close to. And I'm sure you have. And every adoptee has when you talk about it and they get this uncomfortable thing. Mm-hmm. You don't share. And then people say, well, my adopted friend's happy. They never shared with me. Well, maybe they've tried. Thought that was interesting because mm-hmm. her boyfriend, they like she blurts out to this Henry guy her whole story. Yeah, once he found it for her, then he came over with champagne and yeah. And then yeah. here's the most wild yeah. thing that is just another one of those crazy kismet things. <clears throat> you know what I did over? Yeah. So anyway, we didn't finish yeah. what she did, which was pretend to be pregnant, have the records sent to. She looked in the phone book for a. OBGYN because the hospital's like, yeah, sure, we'll send them to you. Who's your doctor? And she's like, what? And so she flips through the oh my God. yellow pages. Some random an person. <laughs> Some random OB makes an appointment pretending yeah. like she's pregnant and gets in there and sees her file and takes it and run and just flees. So, so bold. Totally so ran bold. and stole her file. They're probably like, what happened there? I mean, <laughs> I who is this? And she wore baggy clothes and she had never had a pelvic exam. I mean, it's pretty bold to go to a gynecologist. I mean, really? I was thinking I probably wouldn't have done that. That's actually super bold. You know, two minutes later, he could have walked in. He could have walked in while she was 
I mean, it it just would have been so (laughs) pretty amazing. So she's at school in Ithaca, Mm -hmm. freezing cold, and there's like a big student discount to go to Bermuda. And she sent away for the package and then for some reason didn't get the package. So she calls up her friend who lives in the Midwest and is already married and makes a plan to come see her. The friend is like, we'll go cross country Mm -hmm. skiing. Come, come, come. So she goes, she makes the plan. And in the meantime, finds out. Oh, it's crazy. She finds out. So the the guy, Henry, I thought this was pretty cool. He narrowed down in the Midwest, everybody with the last name her birth mother had. Noguchi, yeah. Noguchi. Narrows it down. She calls all of them. There's only he one called left. Up. He's oh, he the called. One that, wasn't yeah. he the one that called them all? Or? One of them no, called them no, all, but there's sh- one number left. One number left in the town where her friend lived and where she was going to visit. Yeah. And she calls it. She didn't call it. She had her friend and she calls her friend and it's like, can you do this for me? First, she has her friend call and then it was the brother of yes. the, of the, the biological her uncle. mom, yeah. mm-hmm. her uncle, who gives all the information to her friend because she lied. The friend didn't. Yeah, she didn't tell him. She's like, I'm an old friend and I, you mm-hmm. know, blah, blah, blah. And then she calls her and calls her. And then she has her friend also call her mother and her mother answers the phone and was like all happy. And then like, Hardcore. Like, oh, realizing what the call was about. Yep. And was very intense. And she's like, I'll get back to you. And she yeah. did. She got back to the friend, Gina. Because mm-hmm. Gina said, well, she's, she's coming. She's going to be in town. She's coming to this town. And so the chapter ends with Susan showing up at the mother had said, yeah, holiday in, you know, noon, whatever the time was. As she's getting off the plane, she finds this out. Yeah. I'd be so stressed out. Wow. I'd yeah. Be- it's kind of a bit because she's young. Like, she's so young. She's so young to do this and to face what potentially be coming for rejection or, you know, just that we know with everything. It's so mm-hmm. big. And very, she didn't tell very. her parents, even though her parents were so upfront about the search, she still didn't tell them about this part, which is such an adoptee thing. Mm-hmm. You're still hiding it. You're still protecting, even though her parents are kind of open. Yeah. You just have guilt. And guilt, and also maybe you just want something for yourself that's for yours, yourself. yours alone. You know, you don't yeah. have to share everything. And I have people. that too. Sometimes you're like, you know, people don't get it, so don't share it, type of thing. Yeah, yeah, that's so, true. You're right. That could be both. Well, this was both. good. Like, it's hard for me to stop. Actually, I know. Because <laughs> I'm like, this book is going it. fast. It's going fast, and I so enjoy it that I'm like, oh wait, okay, stop. You can't keep reading. It well, you could open. and just reread. You know, <laughs> I mean. <laughs> I feel like it's so authentic because we read right before. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. it's like we're, so we're real time. Well, we'll see you in a second for Yeah, um, we have a good Pam. guest. Pam, see you in a minute. Okay. See you in a minute. Hey, Louise. Hi, Sarah. We wanted to remind everybody about Magic Mind, that little energy shot that we've been taking. A, it's in Sprouts, and B... If you join in the month of January with our code, if you subscribe, then you get three months for the price of one. Yeah, it's 75% off because you also get 20% more by using Adoption 20. Oh, right. So it's actually like a lot of savings there. It's totally worth it. I mean, really, because if you're anything like me, even when you're doing your best to concentrate on work or reading at night, like Louise and I read... (laughs) usually don't read till late at night, you know, you're not always 100% focused and you're not always getting everything done as quickly and efficient 
differently as you need to. So I think Magic Mind is the perfect solution for that. I do too. Their ingredients are incredible. They have the different lion's mane mushroom. I was looking mm, yeah. at like further into it and I'm like, what is some of the stuff? So I was looking up like Rodelia rosea or something. I was like, this is good stuff in here. Yeah, like it's very expensive good stuff. stuff, actually, if you were to like purchase it and have to take each one. Mm -hmm. So it's a yeah, and this you can get it in just a little shot, little green shot, little I love green, green shot. shot. <laughs> love it. It's tasty, too. Yep. So yep. make sure to subscribe. Exactly. So we are here today with a fellow podcaster, a podcaster and an adoptee. And her podcast is called Art Heals All Wounds. This is Pam Uzel joining us from Oakland, California. Welcome, Pam. Hi, Pam. Hi, Louise and Sarah. And it is such a pleasure to be on this show because I listen to it so, so much. It's felt like a lifeline to me. Oh. So being here is really, really amazing. Yes, I'm, I'm so glad to hear that. We never really, you know, unless we get feedback, you just, you know yes. how it is having a podcast. Put it out there. It falls where it may, you know? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, well, not to overdo it, but it's been a little bit of a life-changing journey to listen to this podcast. So it's really, really such an amazing thing you're doing. Mm -hmm. And I can tell from the other guests, too, that they thank also you. feel that. Yeah, so. Did you come out of the fog with us together? <laughs> or were you already? <laughs> I think I had one foot out of the fog, but not very much. And I remember listening to the earlier shows. And thinking like, oh, this is kind of cool. And even start a show, I think you had to have a little bit of yourself out of the fog. For but sure. I found, you know, something happened the other day where a Facebook memory came up where I had taken a picture of a Jeanette Winterson paragraph. She was adopted. And mm -hmm. this was probably 12, 13 years ago that I put that picture and talked about being adopted. So absolutely. I think yeah, you're right. It was definitely one foot out, but just... Nothing to not connecting. Yeah, not connecting it. So, mm -hmm. well, it's weird because it's scary to come out of the fog. Mm -hmm. And that's why your podcast was so life changing for me because I had had a therapist say to me, We had been meeting for a couple of years and I had never mentioned that I was adopted. And we had talked about during, all these during your therapy sessions. Never? Yes, never. And then finally I said, Oh, yeah. And you know, I was adopted. And she was like, Ah, wait a minute. <laughs> you know, wait a minute. And she yeah. said, you know, there's a whole profile of, you know, what people experience if they've been adopted. And I was amazed. And then I had friends who had adopted a daughter who had gone deep, deep into the research because they, you know, they're of my generation. And so they're much more open to therapy and exploring this. And they both were like, oh, here are these books. You have to read them. And I kind of glanced through them, but it, it is scary to come out of the fog a little bit because you do have to let go of a lot of things that's kind of held you together. Mm -hmm. Not very well, but yeah. So and then also just facing, oh, this isn't the wonderful thing. You know, there's a lot of dark history to it, a lot of layers to it. It yeah. might change your relationships yes. with the people in your life. Yes. Uh, so it is, there's something safe about remaining in the fog. Oh, there really is. Yeah, there is. There really is. But yeah, so I I don't know if you're ready for me to talk about my experience yet, but I, I've had a lot talk of revelations yeah. listening to your show and also doing some of the reading. Some of the books that you guys are reading 
I'm just like, no, I don't think I can handle that. So it is sort of like, oh, thank goodness I'm getting this digest of this book because I don't know if I could read. That's what my friend says. We read it for her. (laughs) (laughs) I know, I know. But yeah, I was adopted at two months old in Arkansas and closed adoption through the state. Listening to all your guests, it's made me think a lot about so much time I've spent in therapy, kind of picking apart, oh, my parents were this, my family was this. And then I realized that it's easier to sum up if I just say it was very lonely. Mm-hmm. It was very lonely. I felt like I had been put in a family that was, you know, good parents, although we definitely had some clashes where I think that they were wrong still, <laughs> but good parents. But just so much like a different... Like an alien. Like an alien. Yes, like an alien. And in fact, my daughter who does artwork always refers to me as an alien and herself as well. But that's such a perfect way to describe Mm -hmm. it. And, you know, I was not the lonely only. I had an older brother who was also adopted. And I really feel like he was part of the reason why I felt like very lonely. He was sort of like a little clone of my parents in terms of what they liked, what they wanted to do, and their interests. But it was also, like the compliant adoptee that fit. No, I was the compliant oh, adoptee. I was the compliant adoptee. It's so interesting. And I had all the things like horrible, horrible stomach issues, mm. all those things you read about. When I read, you know, the primal wound, it was sort of like, oh my gosh, this is so familiar. Not all of it, because you have to be sort of a type, but so much of it, I felt like, how can this be like the answer to these mysteries that I lived with as a kid? But yeah, my brother really also, it seemed like he was very resentful of like having another person come into the family. And I, what was the age difference? Three years, three Mm. years. I feel like there just was not space for me in that family. Some of it was my parents and some of it I really feel was my brother, you know, and still even till the point when my parents passed away, it is sort of like sucking up all the attention. And I was sort of like a good acquaintance who would come to visit. It was, mm-hmm. it was really. I feel this. like that in my family now. Yeah. So I know it. I know exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I went to a therapy thing. I've never even told Sarah this maybe, but I was focused at the time I had a lot of anger towards my brother. This is years ago before both my adoptive parents had passed. And I, we had a lot of problems, my brother and I, for years. And he's not adopted, but he's five years older. And I was at this thing to fix my marriage. And I kept saying, well, my brother, this. And they said, really, it's your parents, because he was a child, too. Right. So right. the safety should have started with the parenting, right? But I couldn't, right. like, put it there. I could put it on my brother, but it's interesting what you're saying, because you're both kids, but what's the messaging going on? Just reflecting on that, I'm not saying about your home, but that was interesting you said that. Well, but it is a good point because one of the things that happened up until my early teenage years is that we would physically fight. And the majority of the time is that I didn't start these fights. I would, we'd be arguing verbally and something I would say would set him off and then he would start the physical fights and I would definitely fight back. I had that with my adopted brother, too, and we were three years apart. Isn't Mm. that weird? I was older, but I mean, it was 
violent fights. Really? Yes. I mean, yes. really. I remember once driving and he was pulling my hair while I was driving. Really? I mean, really intense, intense oh. fights. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Oh. That's my, the last fight we got into, I was maybe 12 and he was 15. And by the end, he had me down on the ground choking me and I was oh. just reaching up, punching. And we kind of, called a truce. We said, we will never physically fight again. But when I look back, I think, you know, and my parents would sort of say, stop fighting, stop fighting. It's like, no, this is an older guy hitting yeah. a girl. It's beyond stop fighting, you know? And luckily I have two girls. They've never been hitters or anything. You know, they've never solved their differences that way. But I can't imagine having an older sibling who's much stronger and dangerous, especially a, with the kind of you know, anger, obviously, oh, that yeah. unrealized, unhealed. Yeah. That he had as well. That's what mm -hmm. I was referring to him. And yeah. dangerous. You were in danger. I look Gosh. back at it and I'm kind of in shock to your point, Louise, that my parents did not handle it differently. Yeah. It's not stop fighting. It's you cannot hit a smaller girl. You can't hit a girl, period. But, you know, yeah. it's just really amazing to me. But so, but mostly it just was lonely, lonely. Nobody shared my interests and interests. And I was told often that my interests were weird by my parents, you know. Were you an artist then, like into the arts? And I, no, I was a reader. Oh. I was a reader. I, that was my. How is that weird? Safety net. I had that too. Me told too. I was I'd be thrilled. Weird. <laughs> Put the book down and go outside. And, and yeah, I got a lot. Let, you know, like, well, they didn't think that reading was weird, but any other interest I have had, like filmmaking, like seeing certain arts and things like that, you always like the weirdest things. It's like <laughs> <laughs> a lot of the world also joins me in that. Arkansas. Sorry, Arkansas. <laughs> yeah. But you know what is weird? Speaking Listen, my weird. biological family's from Arkansas. <laughs> no way. Yeah. Oh, yep. that's I've never been to Arkansas. Oh, well, I've. It's a journey for, I need to make. Yeah. Yeah. There's some cool spots there. I mean, I'm, there I'm are. Yeah, there's just, just being fun. Yeah. But, <laughs> but actually, my town has an amazing art scene, which I wish I had been involved. Is that Eureka Springs? No, it's this little town near the Louisiana border called El Dorado. Oh. And they have an amazing art center, great theater production, and then other art classes, lots of music, which I was heavily involved in, mm -hmm. either through church or through playing in the orchestra for you know, the summer musical that would be put oh. on, things like that. So it actually is Happy. a very heavy arts town. Can I make a joke about El Dorado? Because my mother-in-law is from El Dorado, Kansas. And, you know, it is El Dorado. I speak some Spanish. <laughs> well, <laughs> but it kills me, right? The, the it, Midwest and South uh, proudly mispronounces I their, know. their phonetically. Because we do it in Missouri here, too. <laughs> oh, I know. I know. And I... I could never it means call gold, it. people. It means gold. I know, but I I also speak a little Spanish, but mm -hmm. I would never walk into that town and say, "Oh no, no, no I know." We have a that like you're insane. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, were you born in Arkansas? I was born in Arkansas in a Florence Crittenden home. We know about that. Yes, yes, and according to my adoptive mother, I was the youngest adoptee to be placed. They used to wait six months. I don't know if I was actually the youngest or the, there were probably a whole slew of us who were placed at two months when they changed the law. And I was 
placed because my birth mother had put down on the ethnic information that I was part Native American, and my dad put down that he was part Native American. And I have to say, both Ancestor and 23andMe say no. (laughs) No, you're not. For both me and my dad. My dad thought he was a quarter Cherokee. Mm-hmm. And before he died, I made him do a genetic test. And it's like, no, no, you are not. And I know you don't get every single gene, but yeah. my daughters are an eighth Mexican. And boy, it's all over the place. Every single thing that my ex-husband's family has said they're from, it is there. But for me, it's all English, Irish, Scottish, a little yeah. bit of Scandinavian. But That's no. me. That's my genetic makeup, too. Really? Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. So you were in the home. Yes. Your mother was in the home. And so you were very young, like you're weeks old or? Well, I've met my birth mother. And according to her, I don't think, I'm not sure she, she saw me. I don't think she ever even held me. Mm-hmm. So I was probably put into foster care for two months yeah. and then released for adoption. Yeah, same. Yeah. And yeah. how did she come up? What were her circumstances, if you don't mind saying? My birth mother? hmm She also grew up in Arkansas and got pregnant as a 19-year-old in her freshman year of college. What you know, year was this? This was 1965 mm-hmm. that she gave birth to me. And, you know, I still have that thing of, like, guilt talking about things, but I'm going to push past that a little bit here. Her father very much wanted the family to keep me. And her mother, in fact, her father died three weeks before I was born. Mm -hmm. I know, very, very traumatic stuff. She was not allowed at the funeral. What? Because she was pregnant? Because she was pregnant. She, She came, I believe, in secrecy to see him before that so that she could see him before he died. And I was told by her that it was his dying wish that I be kept in the family, but her mother absolutely did not want that. So I was put up for adoption. Yeah. Yeah. And she didn't want that either, but she had to go along with family. Oh, I don't, she's never said she didn't want that. Oh. She's never said, you know, I really wanted to keep you. I, in fact, I don't think she did. I mean, how do I know? Really? She's never talked about it. Yeah. What were the circumstances in which you've tracked her down and found all this out? Well, I have a neuromuscular disease, a genetic neuromuscular disease, and I've passed it on to both of my kids. And I've always wanted to know, you know, about my birth mother and really honestly, weirdly, about my birth father. Well, my biological father, I guess he didn't give birth to me, but my biological father. And... I just kept chickening out. I did 23andMe about 10 years ago, and there was no one on it, even remotely. It's like, this person might be your sixth cousin. And it's like, oh God, you know, you have ancestors from 800 years ago or something, you know, just like unlikely. And finally, during the pandemic, I just thought, well, if my mom, my adoptive mom had always told me your mom was a young college student. I thought, okay, if she was young, I should do it now or it's going to be too late. So I did Ancestry 
I'd been told that you'll have a much, there are many more people on Ancestry, so you'll have a much greater chance of tracking down any relatives. And the second I went up there, I got a message from a second cousin who said, you know, can you tell me when and where you were born and all these things? And I thought, okay, is this a scam? And so we started corresponding back and forth. And I told her and she said, well, I think you are the daughter of my cousin. And that was, you know, she turned out to be had right. she known about had she known about it? Found my, through family gossip. Oh, oh, absolutely. My birth mother does not know that. She right. thought that she kept this a really, you know, tight secret. And not at all. The entire family knew. And in fact, this second cousin had been looking for me to pop up mm. on Ancestry. She's sort of a sleuth, you know, both using DNA tests, but then also using public records and things like that. And so she is the person who connected us. And I found out that I have an enormous extended family on that side. And nobody had this genetic disease, which it would pop up. Somebody would have had it. Yeah, because it's prevalent in your family, obviously, somewhere. Yeah, it's supposed to be 50% chance that you will pass it down. And it's definitely that 50% you find out is such a crazy thing to count on. And so nobody, nobody has it. Nobody's ever heard of anybody having it, which takes me back to my biological father who had passed away about a year or two before I got connected with my Mm. birth mother. But he died for this day and age somewhat young. I've seen pictures of him. He appeared very kind of frail and not well. And he never had any other children. So Um. it's kind of a dead end from that respect. But there is a whole crazy thing about his background as well in that his last name, he was raised by a man who was not his biological father. It was his mother's second husband. But even her first husband is not his biological father. And yeah, this cousin and I tracked it down to that his father was probably this soldier going off to World War II in Fort Chaffee, which is in near Fort Smith, which is where my birth mother grew up. And we actually contacted one person there who was very open and willing to talk about it. And he said, yeah, that sounds like that could be my dad. He, you know, has made lots of apology in later life about his behavior when he was young. So that sounds very likely. I also got another message from someone in that same family cluster and said, you're a match for me. And I'm curious to know how we're related, how you're related to my son. And I immediately wrote back and I said, this is why we're a match. It seems that this other person who was not her father or grandfather, but I realized later it could have been still sensitive if it was a relative, was the person who got my biological grandmother pregnant. And I also have been looking for relatives on that side to see if anyone has a neuromuscular disease called myotonic dystrophy. And I never heard back from her. I've written a couple of times and she's not responded. Yeah. 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 Which I realize now 
I could have sent a less overwhelming note and just said, yeah, let's talk. <laughs> let's be in contact. <laughs> well, you're you're like further steps beyond. And so you put a lot in there and she's like, whoa. I did. And that's my tendency too. I always feel like if someone has something to say to me, I want them to just get it out there. I don't want to be in suspense. But I realize that not everyone responds positively to that type of <laughs> So it's kind of a unsolved mystery as of yet. It is. It is. And that was also very lonely. I mean, it, I feel like that was sort of the theme. And because it's a rare disease, I didn't know anybody else who had it. And more importantly, my oldest daughter has it much more severely than I do. And I really wanted to find kids and then teenagers and then young adults who had this disease. And it was very hard, although I did later connect to the Myotonic Dystrophy Foundation, and we've met lots of people her age who have it. So that's been wonderful. But yeah, that was also just... Not knowing anything about it. It was a disease. Not that much was known about it when she was diagnosed and then I was diagnosed. That was 27 years ago and they've learned so much about it. So things are better now. At that time, it just was. Yeah. Whoa. I have a rare genetic disease too that only 600 families in the world (laughs) have been (laughs) diagnosed with this. So there is very little. Wow. About it. Do you mind saying what it is or would you rather not? Bert Hogg Dubé syndrome. It's a rare genetic kidney disease that can lead to kidney cancer. And if you have it, you are 33% likely to get it, kidney. So it's, yeah, it's something to keep an eye on, but there's just not enough, enough data on it. So. Were you able to find out more about, because both of you have found your biological mothers, even if you didn't Mm -hmm. meet them. Mm -hmm. Have you been able to find out more? My birth mother too was adopted. So it took time to track through her biological mother's family. I have not found any kidney stuff through my father's family. I have not found any kidney stuff. The missing link then would be my mother's father. I found their family, but nobody knows about that she was ever born or I was ever born. So I found one person who also was adopted into that family, and she's been hesitant to bring me up to anybody in the family. So, wow, wow, still kind of a, I don't know, situation. I have a question about it. When you were growing up, did you... They obviously didn't know you had it. No, no. So it's undiagnosed. And I have very few symptoms. And it's a weird disease. It's like a multi-system disease. And I've just started getting symptoms like maybe the last five to 10 years. And it's a muscle wasting disease. It can Mm -hmm. be. That hasn't been the case for me. But it affects your eyes, your lungs, your digestive system. I've had skin cancer on my nose, which it can increase the odds of getting skin cancer and other forms of cancer because it's a mutation on Mm -hmm. one of the chromosomes. I hear this and it makes sense and then I forget it immediately. And so like, you know, your your 
<laughs> proteins are supposed to be going in yeah. there and it doesn't fit. It's like if you had like something, a plastic, something that fit perfectly and then one sort of melted, you wouldn't be able to get that in there anymore. So that's why it affects so many symptoms. And I've started having really mostly annoying symptoms, digestive for sure. But then also my tongue often freezes, which is really terrible as a podcaster. If I sit and listen for a long time and I'm not really mindful of how I'm holding my tongue, it's like stiff and it's like takes a while to get it warmed up. And it can also be like a silent killer from a heart issues yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. But I, I wondered about that because your daughter has it more serious and I have a, yeah. a very close friend who has a child with a big genetic disease, but she found community in that. Yes. So it's been very huge and you didn't have that. I didn't know what, when you were growing up, if you had that kind of community, obviously. You did You it. did say growing up, you had some digestive issues. Yes. So yeah, but very different. I had, okay. I had the mysterious once a month, maybe more frequently, throwing up all night, diarrhea, as if I'd gotten a... Food poisoning or something? Food poisoning or a bug That's a stress trigger. Well, I thought maybe it was stress. And I think, I mean, as a younger adult, I thought, oh, it must have been stress. But now also then reading like stress that you don't even realize you have as a child, which I think is the case Mm -hmm. for me. And yeah, it's just been such a, you know, I always credit being so interested in stories and doing podcasting and making documentary films from this sense of not fitting in mm-hmm. and trying to figure out, okay, how do I fit in? And just listening, I don't know if either of you did this, but so much in my teens and my 20s, I would look at other people's families and be like, mm-hmm. that's the family I wanted. That's the family I should be in. I'm in the wrong family. And really having this great sense of like missing out, like what would it have been like to be in this family? And again, realizing that even if there had not been such differences with my family, that probably most adoptees, whether they're in the fog or not, have some sense of that they don't belong completely in that family. I said this before on the podcast, but I have a friend and he said that being adopted was like being the water boy on a team. (laughs) Ah, It's a good analogy. That, you know, you're never really part of the team. Yes. I used to just watch everybody. They were so similar. And when I got married, I married a man from Mexico City and his family was so tight. I'm close to them still. And just watch them. And for hours, you know, the mannerisms. And I got along quite well with my parents, but in my outside cousins and everybody, but they were so different. Yes. I mean, they're just so different. I can totally. mimic them well to fit, I, but the, it's not, it's just, they are different. Yeah. I can't mimic well, and I feel like I never did fit. And I think that's so interesting. You said that about your husband, my first husband. Ex-husband. Yes. Yeah. I've been <laughs> married twice, divorced twice. Not shocking because we have a lot of relationship issues. No, not shocking (laughs) to me at all now. But my first husband had a large family. And I remember thinking like, okay, here's my chance. I'm going to like squeeze in here and be part of this family, which, you know, did not work. I'm still close to many of them as well and like them quite a bit, but I never felt a part of that family either. So it's a really 
I love that water boy analogy. <laughs> Me too. It really so. is just not. I mean, I always did feel like a good acquaintance coming over to hang out for a little bit. That's what I say now about because my parents were divorced, my dad remarried, I step siblings, and in fact, had dinner with two of them last night. They're very, very, you know, I'm clearly the outsider, and I feel like a good family friend when I go visit. Yeah. Just a, I'm a good family friend. Yeah. I get that. Both my adoptive parents have passed away, but for sure, it was always this feeling of, okay, I've got three days to be there and not really sure how I'm going to fill my time. My partner now, we've been together 12 years, I'm happy to say, but, you know, just sort of saying, please come with me, please come. (laughs) And I even said to him, I need someone on my side, you know? So it just was like, yeah, it's such a weird feeling that never goes away, really. Yeah. I think that's why, you know, bonding for those of us with children so strongly with them and our pets. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm sitting here stroking Gracie as we're talking. <laughs> like, he's too far away right now. <laughs> yeah, no. And I've heard you talk about that experience of having your kids. And it is amazing. It's amazing to finally, I've been told that both of my girls look like me, which I was like, so happy not <laughs> not because I think like oh it's better to look like me but it's just like I'm so glad that you know people look at us like oh that must be your daughter or oh you know because I never had that experience of looking like anyone in my family and it just feels so easy in a certain way yeah. you know to be with that person yes yes yeah. I remember people we've talked about this on the show too but just my mom my adopted mom is what five foot three maybe and dark hair brown eyes olive complected and i'm five nine five nine and a half you know and people like oh you look just alike like really people like (laughs) i know i know it's so funny my mom was also (laughs) my mom was also five foot two and i'm five seven red hair like so so pale and then my dad was also five seven but we look nothing alike. It's just interesting. And that was the other amazing thing. Well, this reunion with my birth mother was not everything I had fantasized it would be either. But I did find a picture of my biological father in his college yearbook. And we look so much alike. It was just like our eyes are exactly the same. Like his baby pictures, like his toddler pictures, His half-sister has sent some to me. I could put up mine, and it's so similar. And it's like, oh, God, that feels so amazing to see that. And my biological mother, I sent her some pictures. She goes, well, you don't look like either one of us. And I was like, that's so mean. That's so mean. Like (laughs) That is mean. It is. And it's clearly like you've never done any thinking or reading about what an adoptee feels like, you know. How did that come about? Like, you met? And you're not close, are you? Yeah. Well, no, we're not. We were connected. And of course, as I said, my communication style is just like, like fire hose. And I said, oh my gosh, this is so amazing. Would you like to have a phone call or even a Zoom call? It would be so great to talk to you and ask questions. And her response was no. She says, I prefer email. I'm not good at phone calls. I'm like, okay. But we had a lovely initial email correspondence, although 
I've gone back and I've read those emails and I just cringe. I'm so like eager to please like, Oh, like me, like me, like me, please like me. Tell me that you <laughs> like me. <laughs> and it's just like, wow. Even in a few years I have come yeah. through that phase and I made plans to go up and see her. She lives about a 10 hour drive away and my partner was going to come mostly to help with the drive. And about a week before we were supposed to leave, he had taken off work. I had arranged everything. She calls me. This is her first phone call speaking to me and really gruffly says, you can't come up this week. I have to go pick up, you know, my RV, which she had been driving it. It was left in another state and, you know, then I'll have to get it organized and I just can't. And I was like, Um, Okay. And I obviously don't know what I would do, but I strongly believe that I would rearrange everything. uh If a child I had never met before were coming up, I would just be like, RV, you can wait. And I said, oh, okay, well, fine. And she said, but I'm here now if you want to hop in the car and come. And it's like, what? Yeah. It's like, that's, that is not, I work and I don't want to drive. 10 hours by myself and my partner, you know, it just was like, that's not going to work, but okay. And then we started texting back and forth and sometimes emailing. But I said to my partner at that time, like, wow, her tone, you know, no wonder she didn't want to talk on the phone because her tone is so different. Her tone on the email is so, you know, she is a writer and beautifully written, nice emails, but so gruff in texts and on the phone. But I did make plans the following January to go with my oldest daughter. My youngest daughter had no interest. She's just like, I'm glad for you that you found her. I have no interest in meeting her. And it's like, well, that's fine. But my oldest daughter and I went to meet her. And there were so many red flags about, you know, maybe a week out from going up. She called and said, while you're here, I'm going to perform a Choctaw naming ceremony for you and my oldest daughter. Yikes. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. And she said, creation much. (laughs) Well, that would offend her so much if she heard that because she spent her life like saying she's indigenous and she's blonde hair, blue eyed. And she writes some things on Facebook talking about how DNA proves nothing. It's like, well, DNA plus not growing up as part of a tribe to me equals not indigenous. But hey, who am I to say? But I mean, yeah. yeah. I, but then, I identify as a toddler. Can I go <laughs> live in a little swing? Right, right, right. Yeah, it's problematic. And she just she, sounds stunted in a way, like mentally. Well, this is what. I didn't finish saying what she said. So if you're bringing gifts and it's like, I wasn't, it's the middle of January (laughs) to her, my two half brothers, I found out I had half brothers and one of my, my half brother's son and his girlfriend, if you're bringing gifts, that would be the time to exchange them. And I said, well, I wasn't bringing gifts, but I guess I have to now. She goes, oh, just a little something. It's like, okay, so I'm uh, buying gifts for five people. I don't really. What do you even bring? You know? I brought them journals. 
Okay. Good. Yeah, that's a that's a good good, good idea. That's a perfect gift. <laughs> Write yeah. that one down. <laughs> yes, and we got there, and this was another thing too. I had misread this, but I thought she had offered to pick us up at the airport, which again I would have done automatically. And her response was, "Are you thinking I'm picking you up at the airport?" And it's like, "Oh yeah, I guess I mistakenly was thinking that." And then since we're coming so far, and to see, yeah, you. and we're flying. So far, we've and I've flew. got a bunch of gifts. <laughs> it'd, it'd be helpful. I just picture like Sarah getting off the plane last. Yeah, what, what do you mean? I'm coming to get you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it's so rude. I know, and it got worse. Wow. And I, I was still in my eager puppy phase. So we saw her, and I gave her a big hug. And I swear, like this person who's like hugging me and kind of rolling her eyes. Yeah, I got a lot of eye rolling. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. Sorry, She never asked me one question about myself. She thought I was overly paranoid about COVID, even though my oldest daughter had so many, you know, comorbidities. It was like, no, I don't, this is not a joke. And like asking if the entire family had been vaccinated, like the two brothers, she didn't know. And she didn't care. And then the whole time, like making things like, you know, that's not how you get COVID. And I was like, I wasn't even talking about COVID. But yeah, saying, you know, part of myotonic dystrophy is having um, some real learning challenges. And my oldest daughter didn't learn to read till she was in fourth grade. And saying, well, you and her teachers were clearly doing it wrong. I can teach anybody to read oh, brother. two weeks. They just don't know how to do it. And other things like, oh, just give her this vitamin and this supplement and she'll be fine. And it's like, this is like the worst of what I could imagine somebody's reception being. And then I'm sorry for that. That's hard. It was so hard. And then doing that and then coming back. How were your siblings? That's what I'm curious. They are nice. I enjoyed them. But again, when I first found out, again, I was like, oh, two half brothers. I have a second chance of having a relationship with brothers. And the younger one, I reached out to both of them. The younger one responded. And we had this long Facebook chat, you know, private chat the first time. And then, you know, and him saying things like, I've always wanted a sister. And then the next few times I reached out like one sentence answers. The older one, who's younger than me, but he's the oldest of her other sons, answered with one sentence when I reached out to him. And they were fine. I actually, it was fine being around them. Were they raised by her? They were. The, so they, I mean, I, I don't know at all. I'm just saying she sounds emotionally stunted in some way. I don't know. Well, that brings, I, I just have this, you know, obviously I'm not a therapist, but I just always go back to this piece of like that losing a child, I think is, its own trauma, regardless of whether, okay, I'm young and I should give this baby, whatever it is, I still think there's got to be trauma and maybe contributes to some sort of stunted emotional growth. And in her defense, she lost another child Mm. who was killed in an accident. So she's gone through that. She's gone and she lost her father, you know, when she was very young. So she's had a lot of loss. She's very gruff, at least with me. They spent a lot of time. My youngest half-brother had come up 
to meet me. And they spent a lot of time sitting across from us, my daughter and I in a restaurant, and telling us about all the amazing travels they'd done and all these relatives where Allegra and I later, my daughter would say, I have no idea who they're talking about. And like, they didn't ask either of us a single question. It was I hate that, bizarre. Actually. It was. Yeah, bizarre. It sounds like my dating life. <laughs> I was going to say that. That's what, that's what Sarah says about dating. Right, right, right. And my oldest daughter, she walked away from it really angry at my mm-hmm. birth mother, but they've patched it up and she has a very active texting relationship with the two brothers because she's even more, you know, I say I'm very forward with my communication. She's even more than I am. But for me, it's like that feeling of like, God, I feel like I've been rejected all over again. Yeah. Like that feeling you carry as an adoptee anyway, and then not fitting into your birth family and then coming up and having someone, I really just thought I would be embraced and that we would spend hours at least talking about each other and learning about each other. Yeah. So your daughter has a texting relationship with her uncles? Yes, she did. And your and your mother? Yes. After a while, she kind of cooled it off and then she just decided, oh well, I'm gonna just continue this texting relationship. But I don't ever initiate a text. The other thing that was so, so painful, my adopted mother died in 2016. And our relationship was not great when she went. And so I just thought, you know what? I'm going to really work on this relationship with my adoptive dad. He's the only parent, really, that I have. And I did. And he died in 2022. And it was, it was, well, it was painful and traumatic. I was the only person with him when he passed. And it was the same with my mother. Death is not easy. I like, I was with both my parents when they passed. And it's a weird thing. And I was the only one I was with my, brother with my mother but by myself with my dad to watch and it's a very strange it's not what you think it's not the body fights it and the doctor even said that your adrenaline kicks in because you know part of your body's shutting down but there's still a system that's trying to keep you alive and it is a battle it's like so painful to watch someone go through that battle and just feel like you know i don't want you to go but by the same time i don't want this to be prolonged this is horrible watching you fight to stay here when the rest of your body mm-hmm. is just like given up and did so you get closer to your dad so you did make that connection with him or as best as i could he mm-hmm. and i are just as different as can be but what i will say you know politically we're very different and my dad and i just made a pact when donald trump was elected we are not going to talk about politics We'll talk about anything else. We're not going to talk about politics. And for the most part, we didn't. And, you know, I was happy he got to come as soon as everybody was vaccinated. He got to come to our house, which he'd only been to once before because we'd bought it right before the pandemic and stay for a while. And, you know, he was going to come down again. And then he got sick and passed away. But my brother and I posted on Facebook tributes to him and things. And, I got a text from my biological mother and she said, oh, you know, I was so surprised to see that your dad passed away. And I said, yeah. And I gave a little bit of background and her response was, that's too bad. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's how I feel. That's too bad. Like, you know, 
It just was like, okay. And then later, the next day, she texted back. She goes, oh, I was really distracted when I was texting. I said, okay. And I kind of went into more depth about what a traumatic experience it was. And her response was, I understand. And I was like, okay, is that it? And I just felt like, wow, whatever she's going through, there's kind of no room to... Maybe it's just simply what Sarah said, the trauma of her loss, yeah. losing you, losing another child. I'm sure that adds massive stuff to that. And father. And yeah, father. she maybe just doesn't, hasn't yeah. truly dealt with all of that. And yeah, and maybe you know, you're being reminder of a trauma. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it is interesting. I try to not get, I waver between trying to feel compassion and then just feeling really angry yeah. about it. And just feeling like, you know, she's still here. I'm still here. Who knows what the future could be? But I don't feel ready to get that kind of cold shoulder rejection thing again. And I do believe because after, you know, a few weeks after my dad died, she sent me an envelope that just had this pair of antique earrings that said, you know, your grandmother, so-and-so's. And that was it. That was the whole note. And I was like, well, thank you. And I have another cousin that I've met, the sister of the one who connected us. She sent me this long, lovely condolence card. And I was like, this is what I wanted. I wanted someone to acknowledge that I'm feeling pain and loss and just to say, I'm thinking of you. I'm so sorry. You know, and I just thought this is so interesting and, you know, okay, this is, I just don't think that's going to happen with her. And I it don't might think- not. There's an old saying in AA, stop going to the hardware store for milk. <laughs> <laughs> and I like- think if, if you can, you know, find a way to both have compassion for her, but take care of yourself and try right, to limit yeah. your expectations and, it hasn't been that long, right? It's only been a couple no. of years. Like, yeah, it, it takes time. It takes time to fall into a natural rhythm with a relationship in it. And I think the only thing you can do is really take care of yourself. Right. And That's, manage your yes. expectations and your feelings. And right. Give, give her the space and take care of yourself. I yeah. agree with Sarah. I was talking with a friend the other day who said about something I'm going through. And she said, does that serve you? Like what's... You know, you have to kind of look at long-term what serves you. We are in a certain age in our lives now. We do have our children who we love and our families and friends. And and if someone's hurting you repeatedly, does it serve you? You know, I like the milk. I'm going to use that. I like that. (laughs) I like that too. (laughs) Never heard it. It's great. (laughs) I got the milk, the water boy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to write these down. I'm a wealth of... uh... Cliches and <laughs> they're not, but they, they're the you know cliches are always started. Because I like cliches, true. exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. Pam, this has been fantastic conversation. Really, really enjoyed getting to know you. And yes, same. I feel like it was just a really neat, in-depth conversation more than an interview. Honestly, it's well, but this is what's so special about your show is like having conversations with people who get it. It's so incredible. Yeah. It's a gift. It really is a gift to be able to talk like this. And yeah, 
fills Thank us you so up. Much. We're yeah. excited to come on your show. Yes. I know. I know. Can we share that the next <laughs> yes, season? Sure. Tell and spring of and spring of twenty twenty four. Is that where we are? Oh spring gosh, of twenty twenty four. You guys are going to be on my show. Yes, yeah. we're excited for that. I can't wait I'm to have that conversation. Too. I'm excited too. Yes. Okay. Well, you'll send us all your links. We will put those in the show notes and yes. we will see you soon. Yes. It's been wonderful. Yes. Thank yes. you for being here today and being Thank so open you. and vulnerable. Honest. Thank you. Really appreciated. No, I appreciate you too. Thanks, okay. Pam. Talk soon. Okay. Bye. Bye. I really, really liked our conversation with Pam. So enlightening somehow. It was. It was just really, well, I like her. There's something, I like her. Yes, yeah, a her, lot. Her cadence lot. and her vulnerability. She's very, I don't know, there's something neat about her, but I just, I did like that conversation a lot. And I think that as adoptees, it's interesting how she said, like, we helped her, but maybe we were like one foot out of the fog a little bit because we did do some bold things before, you know? I mean. Well, I mean, I've been definitely mm-hmm. talking about my adoption for years. You know, like mm-hmm. I said, we would kind of, hey, I've adopted abandonment issue. You know, yeah. We always did do that aware of. I was like forcing, not- like forcing the issue of my families to meet and stuff. I just didn't connect my deeper stuff. I right. think that's what's neat talking to her, like just having these three-way conversations. I feel so close to people so instantly. That's what's mm-hmm. great about our podcast. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, I was thinking when we were wrapping it up with her, just when we have these conversations and being around other adoptees is a place where I feel safe, right? Yeah, and me too. I necessarily. I feel like I'm always bracing myself when I go around family or groups of people that like I'm bracing myself. And not mm-hmm. really always myself. It's like having a, yeah. I feel myself. I We're can be myself here. here. Yeah. I so. love that. I love that we have that together. Yes, me too. <laughs> what do we say? We say another great episode. Another great episode. See you next time. See you next time. Thanks so much for listening today. And remember, if you'd like to share your stories or suggest any guests for our show, you can find us on all the socials at the Making of Me podcast. And again, we have a Patreon page so that we can continue to bring these great adoption stories to you. So if you want to find that and donate or contribute in any way, find us at patreon.com searching adoption colon the making of me. Bye. See you next time.